0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I'm your host, Dwayne Mancini. This is a brand new podcast series I am launching that revolves around everything medtech. As always, if you have any suggestions on topics or guests you'd like to see on the podcast, please email the podcast at Project MedTechPodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Lance Black. Lance is the Associate Director of the Texas Medical Center's Accelerator Program, or TMCX. Dr. Black served previously as medical device innovation lead and draws on his extensive military medical and engineering expertise to support the resident companies of TMCX in developing innovative healthcare technologies. Lance earned his bachelor's of science in biological engineering from Louisiana State University and his medical degree from LSU Health Science Center of New Orleans. Lance served in the US Air Force and deployed overseas twice. During his time in the armed forces, Dr. Black helped to create modular medical facilities for civilian use and designed and implemented safety protocols for F-22 stealth fighter pilots and their crews. Inspired from his work with wounded warrior amputees, Dr. Black utilized his background in biological engineering to focus on the design and development of medical devices. Following his exit from service, Dr. Black received his Master's of Biomedical Innovation and Development from Georgia Tech, including a year in their Master's of Industrial Design program. In this episode, Lance and I discuss the TMC ecosystem they have built, why a startup would want to consider TMC innovations, trends in the industry, and more. This episode of the podcast was recorded in late April, early May, and we do talk about the changing environment of COVID-19. So please keep that time frame in mind when listening. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Lance Black
1: Medical. <laughs>
0: Okay, Lance. Thanks for uh, joining me on the uh, podcast today.
1: <clears throat> My pleasure, Dwayne. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Um, so, as I mentioned in your bio, uh, you know you're you're at the you're at TMCX. Um, can Can you give a brief introduction to the to the audience on on and the listeners on on what that is, where it is, and and what it is?
1: Would love to. So TMCX is located in Houston, Texas. It's one of a number of programs underneath the umbrella organization called TMC Innovation. TMCX itself is a medical device and digital health accelerator program. We focus on helping early stage companies meet their customers, typically enterprise clients, uh, looking to validate their software, their device, or their whatever technology that they have. Um, the TMC Innovation supports startups at varying stages within their lifecycle, everything from the dock with an idea all the way to those companies who have raised, you know, serious capital and are looking for strategic partnerships.
0: Okay, great. And uh, the actual facility, I mean, so I've, I've been there uh, and it was kind of funny when we were talking about this and, uh, you know, I'd been there with my previous company to, to present on some topics, but can you talk a little bit about the facility and, and also the ecosystem outside of the facility because uh, I... I I generally know about it, but I remember being
1: very, very impressed. Sure. Well, it's true what they say. Everything is bigger (laughs) in Texas. (laughs) Our campus is over uh, several hundred thousand square feet, and we house not only TMC Innovation, but we also house several strategic partners. For instance, we are co-located with Johnson & Johnson's J-Labs, their Center for Device Innovation as well. AT&T Foundry, and our newest um, corporate partner, AB Robotics for Healthcare. So there's quite a few uh, companies intermixed, if you will, on our campus. Our facility is located just outside the Texas Medical Center. The Texas Medic- Medical Center itself is another sizable uh, and quite unique uh, dynamic. It's a medical city, really. It's about 1,400 acres. It houses over 60 what we call member institutions, these member institutions include everything from hospitals, which we have over 21, uh, to research organizations to academic centers. We employ about 115,000 people and we serve over 10 million patient visits annually. So it's it's on another level when you talk about size and quality and, and, and quantity of healthcare being delivered in Houston. So it's it's our our bias and our thought that it's there's no better place really to come and validate your technology and your business model if you're in the healthcare startup space.
0: Yeah, great. Um so let's talk about, uh, you know, the kind of resources, um, you know, if I was a startup company and I'm looking for a place to, to, to grow, you know, it certainly sounds like it's a, it's a nice place. Um, in terms of network and and what you can connect me to, you know, what, what, uh, kind of resources do you have there?
1: For sure. So, so we joke about, um, you know, it's, we're 75 years old by the way. And we joke that if we can go back in time and, and create a medical city that would be perfect for uh, novel technologies and innovators, this would be it. We we wouldn't been able to create a better place. Um, So the the network really is substantial in the sense that we have about 30,000 physicians that are clinical leaders, key opinion um, leaders, as well as those that are interested in research and working with early stage devices and technologies. Uh, We have uh, TMC innovation is, Interestingly positioned in that it's somewhat of a it is an independent organization and it serves multiple independent organizations. So each of these member institutions are in of themselves a formidable institution, for instance, MD Anderson or Houston Methodist or or Texas Children's Hospital. So it's not one health system. It's a variety of health systems that we serve. And so we can tap into their innovation processes. We can tap into their research, their clinical uh, Acumen, And we can tap into multiple, multiple um, uh, sectors and multiple stakeholders. I, I, I find it particularly interesting because as a startup company, there's a variety of business models that you can validate within. For instance, there's government-owned facilities, like we have one of the largest VA hospitals in our backyard. There's academic medical centers if you're looking at something to do more on the research side. And of course, there's private nonprofit institutions or even accountable healthcare organizations. So really depending on your business model, there's an opportunity for you to really have a proving ground uh, to determine whether or not you're you're on the mark or if you need to to adjust and pivot. Um, Of course, outside of the clinical expertise and those kind of contexts, we certainly have regulatory professionals reimbursement professionals intellectual property professionals those that every startup would need to have in place as they continue to grow and develop in fact on our campus we have a program called tmcxi and I stands for industry and investors and so we actually have co-located and co officed our people that are there to support startup companies and our service providers and it ranges from independent consultants to large uh, organizations who who have a you know a good track record with startups
0: Sure. Yeah, that's 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 great. Um, and in terms of, you know, um, investing, um, you know, TMCX doesn't actually have a venture arm, do they? They more or less have an ecosystem of investors that are a third party or or is there some type of financial benefit as well?
1: There's both. Yeah, so TMC oh, does have a venture fund. Okay. Uh, we it's a $25 million fund. We invest on average about 2 million per year. And most of those investments, about 90% of them to date, have been to companies who have gone through one of our programs, primarily TMCX. And TMCX has served for us to be a great time because we're living with the companies for four to six months and we're working with them and we're getting knee deep into their strategies to really provide uh, clarity and due diligence on whether or not we'd like to promote and invest in that company even further beyond the accelerator. To participate in our programs is at no charge to the companies, and we don't take any equity. So it's not a, a guarantee investment, nor is it a, a mandatory requirement for you to participate. Uh, in fact, we invest in only about 5% of the companies that have gone through our accelerator rate. We, we've supported hundreds of companies, uh, and to date have invested just over a dozen uh, of, the, of those companies.
0: Awesome. So, yeah, I appreciate the background on uh, on, the, on the Texas Medical Center innovation, and it's uh, very helpful. And I think a lot of the guests will find that helpful. Um, let's move a little bit into some of the trends you see in the in the med tech industry. So, you know, medical device specific, but but maybe also digital health. You know, I think a lot of times, and and definitely moving forward, the line between digital telehealth, medical device, software as a medical device is going to be pretty blurred. So yeah, current trends you see, and, and we can kind to go from there.
1: Yeah, certainly. I'll talk a little bit about actually what we're seeing in the hospital sector more than maybe this trends from the startups at first. We work sure. with, like I mentioned earlier, a number of enterprise health systems. These are These are large and notoriously bureaucratic health systems, but the trends that we're seeing within those four walls are that they're now being becoming more of a professional importers and exporters of technology. Importers in the sense that uh, they're starting to formalize offices of innovation, starts you know, at the top with a chief innovation officer, let's say, but but doesn't necessarily have to be that title, but uh, having people that are fully dedicated to scouting and vetting and recruiting for companies that can solve their problems. But in a, in a more, I would say, nuanced way that maybe a typical procurement process would go through they're not looking necessarily for large companies that can they can deploy their technology they're looking for companies that are that are moldable and shapeable and can help them to solve unique problems maybe that pertain to their system and so we're, we're benefiting from that in a sense of building relationships with those individuals and those teams to understand what their playbook looks like you know what do you have to have checked off before you even have that first conversation what does a meaningful metric look like? How can we measure success within, within that relationship? Is, is this a joint development opportunity, a research opportunity, or is this a pilot site and something that's going to build and grow from there? And so we're starting to see that as a trend, certainly in Houston, uh, but I think we're seeing it more than just uh, citywide. We're seeing it obviously US-wise too. Uh, on the side of on the technology, you've already kind of hit it in the head. And I think a lot of people, especially because of these current times starting to realize the importance of of telehealth, remote monitoring, virtual care, all those things are starting to to blur together for sure. And, and on the device side, now it's about monitoring and wearables and, and collecting data. And on, obviously on the digital side, it's about what to do with that data and how to make it more meaningful and actionable. Um, so we, we certainly see a number of startups in that field and they all kind of have different touch points. What I think is interesting and the trends that I'm seeing is that there's quite a few of them looking at very select touch points that they then can, once they gain market traction can expand the land and expand model, as you would imagine, but but doing that on a technical piece, on a technical side. And so that, that's been interesting to watch to see how successful that strategy is or is not. And it really just comes down to, to understanding who's paying for it. And uh, and under, you know what, what are the regulations around telehealth, for instance, are going to be in the near future. I think COVID has presented a very unique situation in, 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 in a sense because it's almost fast forwarded the future for us a little bit. I tell people that, you know, startups are kind of like prophets. Uh, they're, they're telling everybody this is the future and they want to convince people to share that vision of the future with them. Uh, but it's really hard to do that, uh, especially people that are kind of in the weeds and day to day and they, they kind of want to, want to worry about what their problems are uh, as it currently stands, not 10 years from now. And, and COVID and, and the, the crisis has really kind of forced everybody to think really hard about telehealth services, for instance, or remote monitoring and virtual care. Uh, and so I think this is the time where you're going to see a lot more startups gaining traction in a very quick and real way. And we've already seen that in the past few months. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a trend, but it's certainly going to force uh, that trend and, and catapult it forward.
0: Yeah, no, I I think you know something I've talked about with with uh, every guest so far is is telehealth and and um, it's it's yeah COVID nineteen it really did like you said it pulled it forward um, we've heard the phrase you know the genie's out of the bottle you're not going to get it back in um, you know it's kind of out there now and um, you know it, it is a very real concern though too I have family members who have. You know underlying health conditions and we have to have a discussion of is it beneficial for you to go in to the doctor or can they do this virtually you know so yeah it's it's a it's it's there's, there's nothing good about the current situation um, but you know for telehealth if if you are one of those startups then you better be ready to move fast because um people need your technology and they need it now.
1: That's right. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. And I, I do think that, um, it, it's a question that the health systems and providers and, you know, much less the patients asking themselves, what point do, is telehealth appropriate? Um, when I was trained as a physician, I don't want to say how long ago, but a long time ago, <laughs> um, you know, there was, a uh, and my professors were like, you have to put your hands on a patient, you have to to do a physical exam, you have to do a quality uh, assessment of the patient. Don't just rely on technology to give you the answer. You really need to understand it from your perspective so that way you can make the decisions that are appropriate. And so telehealth back in the, the 90s and early 2000s was thought to be the devil. It was like, well, that's not quality care. That's just, you know, you're seeing a patient, there's no way you can do an adequate exam. But now with more and more capabilities, that technology has enabled, uh, to be able to monitor and, and even exam exam patients remotely. Uh, I think the technology has cu- currently caught up with, if you will, if with the, uh, the, the thinking of physicians and healthcare providers.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And, um, you know, even if you, like I said, if you go back before COVID-19, um, it was a hot, it was a hot topic in the industry. I mean in uh, at 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 large conferences like like Medica they had a whole they had a whole section for telehealth um you know in the startup in the startup building i mean uh JP Morgan there was just conference after conference and meeting after meeting about telehealth so it is the future it's just how quickly will people adopt it like you said and um i think they're going to have to for sure yeah um other other trends you see in the industry
1: uh, you know, it's, it's more of a, I think, an indicator than a trend, but it's the, the financial considerations that startups are starting to make. Uh, you know, they're modeling their business businesses around, of course, reimbursement strategies and, of course, how, you know, who's going to ultimately pay for this. But they really are now becoming so nimble, in fact, that they have multiple business models almost running in parallel so that they can accommodate new policies and regulations that are going to come down knowingly within the next few years with regards to private payers, public payers, and obviously uh, out-of-pocket payers. So that's a trend. I'm I'm seeing a lot more, I guess, sophistication and savvy around uh, understanding the healthcare economics piece of it. You know, even three years ago, when I first started working at TMC Innovation, that was always something that was an immature, immature, not developed understanding how who's going to pay for it, um, how are they going to pay for it, and then how is that going to change? Now, it's no longer, uh, in the medical device space especially, it's no longer enough to say, well, there's a reimbursement code already there, and that's how we're going to get paid. And now it's got to, you know, you have to understand where is that reimbursement code going to change, if it's going to change, how it's going to change, how the policy is coming down, going to affect that. And then ultimately, you know, who knows, uh, could completely flip and go to a, a completely different healthcare model. And are you yeah. ready for that? So uh, I'm seeing that as, certainly as a trend in some of these startup companies being more sophisticated around that model.
0: Yeah, that's good to see. I mean, you know, I think every guest I've talked to so far has, has said a very similar thing as well as, um, you know, it's, it's thinking about reimbursement um, and thinking about it early. Uh, And I always tell companies that is, you know, you can sit there and look at what's your easiest, easiest regulatory path, and that's fine, you know, but does the easiest regulatory path, you know, line up with a reimbursement plan that's going to be effective for your company, you know, so I think there's that balance. Um, And then obviously, you know, for a lot of companies, that's going to affect what they need to do in the clinical setting as well. So, um, sure you know, they need to think about those things. But but I think uh, entre- entrepreneurs are certainly becoming more wise to that. And that's probably because the people who are giving them the money, the investors, are, you know, demanding that, you, like, you got to think about this before you come in and, and pitch to us about why we should invest in your company.
1: Right. Well, and it's e- it's easy to fall victim to, I'm going to save time, I'm going to save money for the health system. Therefore, there's they're going to pay for this technology, right? They're going to give me a cut of whatever it is that I'm saving yeah. them. And, you know, there's, there's so many, I think, uh, factors at play that are easily disguised uh, just like, you know, the opacity behind healthcare business in general uh, yeah. that it, 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 sometimes they go really far in product development and business development before they realize, well, I didn't think that that was going to be a stumbling block. And now I'm going to have a hard time convincing the CFO to actually consider paying for my technology. So it's, it's, yeah, it is, it's easy to say, think about it from the beginning, but a lot of that stuff doesn't really come to fruition until you've already started to develop and think about your business model. And then, then you come across it. I think what's interesting and what, you know, obviously is most impressive to me are those entrepreneurs that can pivot and adjust and have, have the agility to, to understand that, okay, I'm not locked into this business model. I understand there's other ways to, to, to bring value and and, and get you know, compensated for it appropriately.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Um, any other trends? Uh, I know we talked briefly about you know some of these beforehand, but uh, we might have covered all of them.
1: You know this this kind of ties back to um, the bit the the business of healthcare, but with with current regulations passed around transparency and cost, I, I think that's that's a, a real trend that's already been in the making for five, 10 years now, and that is uh, focusing on the on the, the patient as a customer and understanding what his or her decisions that have to be made in order for them to select to use a certain technology or cert- choose a certain provider, choose a certain healthcare setting. I, I just see that's going to be coming more and more of a decision maker. We we work obviously with mostly B2B businesses, but it's they're going to have to start to think about B2C considerations and what the consumer Choice is going to be that to me is what's going to unlock the ability to have an actual free market is giving consumer choice and so um, I see I see obviously on the digital health side in particular a lot more considerations around the patient as a consumer but that that's been been there a while I just see it continuously advancing.
0: Sure. Okay. Great. Yeah. Um, what are some errors that you see young innovators or new innovators commit that? you know, in your eyes are, are probably um, avoidable.
1: Sure. Um, I think it's just because of our particular position that my answer is going to be somewhat biased. But uh, the ability to scale is a really difficult concept to just wrap your mind around. And we work with a lot of enterprise clients and startups that come to us have maybe already validated their technology even in human with some small clinics or small case studies but when they get to a healthcare system that employs 30,000 people and is taking care of millions of patients that ability to scale can crush a startup because these these large bureaucratic health systems they they need the durability they need the ability to scale rapidly and they have that power to re, re, kind of require customization and they, they can almost like suck you in so much though, so that you're only good to them and you're really not good to scale outside of that. And so I think that's one of the biggest traps I see, especially on the digital health side um, because they, they have, they're creating their content. They're always modifying and always featuring it uh, to, to really be accommodating to their, their clientele. But as soon as they step out of that clientele, the next one wants something different. And they start to become more of a software service company than actually a, a, a business that has a, a single product that, they, that can scale. Um, and we, we've seen companies that, that are doing really well in the small to medium-sized businesses and come to Houston and then just get overwhelmed by one enterprise client. And, and overwhelmed by, by that, I mean, things that aren't really considered are the, are the, the number of pl- employees required to support that particular client. The cost that's required, the time that's required, uh, you know, and we've talked about this all the time. But the sales cycles are different. The amount of liability insurance is different. The way that you integrate with their, you know, their IT department is different. Um, these are all different stakeholders, and they have to really understand the message that's appropriate for each of these, as opposed to one person making all those decisions like in a smaller business. Uh, so I think that's probably the biggest mistake that we see. But that's only because we're really focused on those those startups that are ready and are willing and interested in selling into an enterprise system.
0: Sure. Um, what about, uh, unmet clinical needs? You know, this is, this is one I hear here often. And I, you know, I guess, um, from my side, you know, I usually don't think about it too much because usually I'm I'm coming in to help a client with with reg and clinical strategy, maybe some reimbursement strategy. Um, so so for me, I've assumed that they've already evaluated you know the market and the clinical needs. But right. it, it is a common mistake. You know, uh, it, even it, it's 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 tough because it might be an unmet clinical need in a small you know niche geographical area to the greater, greater other, you know, areas it's, it's not. So maybe talk a little bit about that because I think that's a one that's probably more overlooked. Uh, and I, hear I don't hear as much. It's not one of the common errors, like, you know, reimbursement common error. They don't look at it, but unmet clinical need, I don't hear as much. So maybe expand on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I would love to. In fact, that's probably one thing that's near and dear to my heart. I, and I feel like I've preached that over and over. Um, it's, but it's tough because usually we're talking to folks who've already developed a technology to solve a particular need and, and asking them to go back and do appropriate voice of customer research is, is really challenging. Um, You know, catching them as early as possible is obviously where you want to be in that case. They, the, the feedback that we, we give a lot of times is, you know, first and foremost, what's the, what's the volume of discovery that you've done? And we always use volume because it's, a lot of times they've spoken to one or two positions or a group practice and they acquire the need from their particular insight, but they really haven't gone out and and scaled that particular question or that particular survey. And so, you know, if you're telling me you spoke to five neurosurgeons and this is a real need, it's not as interesting as if you spoke to a hundred or you spoke to the top neurosurgeons across the nation and they're all resonating around this particular need. We, we, and I, I'm I'm stealing this from a friend of mine. There's there's a difference between being an expert on a need and understanding a need, and being a an historian. So the historian to me is kind of the the next level. You you not only understand the, the physiology or the path of physiology, you also understand why it's a problem, who's tried to solve it before, and what ways have they tried to solve it, the history of that problem, how that problem has evolved, why that's a problem now versus it wasn't a problem ten years ago, or it was, and why? And then, how's that problem going to evolve into the future? So you have this—you have kind of a timeline perspective of the problem, more than you have just a point uh, understanding of the, of the of the issue and the need. But I, I do see that as a as a significant problem, and and it, it's in a number of companies. I don't know that I can say it's in more than not more people than not, but um, but we come. I mean, what's, what's most surprising to me is is seeing companies that have gone very far in the product development and business development lifecycle without really have pinpointed that need. And being if you can ask a handful of questions and cause them some confusion, then you know that they haven't done the, the right amount of uh, ethnographic research or voice of customer research. One of our programs we have at TMC is, is a, is a biodesign program, very similar to Stanford's. They spend six months identifying needs, talking to folks. We don't even allow them to think about a solution for six months, and that's all they're doing is they're just being inundated with problems. And you know, they're they're reporters, they're journalists. They're going in there, they're interviewing, they're watching, they're recording. They're you know, they're they're coming back, they're talking about it, they're very validating it. Uh, I do think that process forces people to really consider uh, the level of uh, work it requires required to to really appreciate an unmet need.
0: Yeah, you know, you bring that up. I I do remember that now from when I was at the location, at your location and, and getting a tour. And I remember them talking about this program. It's, it's, I thought it was really interesting and, um, you know, a really great way to, to, to find those problems and to to build a pipeline for essentially startups where they could build solutions for them. So yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. So we got the mistakes out of the way. Let's talk about, uh, <laughs> some, Maybe some success stories uh that you might have, you know, from from TMC and um also, you know, things that you you recommend to all startup companies. Um, you know, if they if they come to you um or or you know, a couple innovators come to you and say, Look, Lance, I have this idea, we're gonna get started. Um, you know, you tell them the mistakes and then you tell them the things that look every successful entrepreneur should be doing this.
1: Well, I'll start there. Um... I guess just you know it's hard, it's hard to speak in generalities, right? Because it sure. you know, it feels like you, you know, it's it's not it's not detailed enough. But but I would say that we really push, or I really push, respecting the business of healthcare. And I know we've already touched on this, but understanding the incentivizations of each stakeholder within that chain. Whoever touches your product, whoever's going to think about your product, those are your customers, and understanding how they're going to be incentivized and not is is crucial um and I, I, I want to uh kind of promote a book from a buddy of mine his the book's called sell more faster uh and and he's out of capital factory he's he's written an incredible book and it's really about understanding the customer profile not just identifying the customer or the customer segment or the target market but kind of know what that persona is what's making them decide whether or not to use purchase uh, identify with your product what, what's going to make them understand the value as you see the value and that that gets into the psychology of understanding your customers and and really appreciating the business behind it because i think there's a there's a tendency for us to, to kind of place judgment on business processes or place judgment on how how hospitals are are, are capitalizing well, you know, they're for profit. So they think this way, or, well, they're, they, they, uh, they have this many Medicare patients, so they must think this way. And I think, you know, when you boil down to it, it's really the individual that's being incentivized by a variety of things that you won't understand until you've had those discussions and really had that detailed conversation, just as we were talking about customer discovery with, with regards to an unmet clinical need, it's just as important to understand the customer from the perspective of whatever supply chain, uh, uh, if it's you know, risk intolerance, if it's um, research interest. So there's all these stakeholders that I do think, and I don't want to get back into the mistakes that startups make because I do think some startups do an incredible job around this, um, but it really comes down to appreciating the different stakeholders. And when somebody asks you who your customer is, it's not one answer. It's not orthopedic surgeons. It's actually, yes, orthopedic surgeons are the users, but here let me tell you about the 17 people who are actually in line of, of of a customer profile. Let me tell you about who they are and how they act. Uh, that's the ones that I'm interested in. And if you're not there yet, then pushing them to go that route. So I would say that's that's one thing we really work a lot on with startups. Uh, some success stories. I like to promote a company called Luma Health. It's out of out of California, and they're they're one of these patient coordination platforms, or maybe more importantly, a patient journey platform. And it's a um, a software as a service product that helps guide patients through their their, their journey, whether it be a surgery, pregnancy, interacting with their physician on a routine basis. Uh, Adnan, who is the CEO of Luma, is just, he's, he's one of those historians. He understands the problem like nobody else does. He understands the nuances of the problem he solves. And he, he has, it's like he's gotten into the brain of his customers. He can almost speak on behalf of what these people are gonna say after they see his product. And those are the kind of success stories that I know you know, Luma's relatively early. They're doing very well, but I know that they'll uh, they'll scale and scale very quickly. And so, and then when they came to um, to Houston, they did a great job, and and we actually ended up investing in them, and we're working with them right now okay. uh, to continue to promote their services. Um, I have tons of success stories.
0: Sure. <laughs> it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's like my children.
1: They're all yeah. they're all awesome. Right. Uh, I can go on and on. I, So. Luminaire is another digital health company. Um, okay. They have a, a sepsis screening tool that allows hospitals to triage who's at greater risk of developing sepsis and then take appropriate actions. And they've already been able to demonstrate sometimes within the matter of hours, whether or not somebody's going to develop sepsis and then take the, um, obviously the, the precautions necessary to prevent the, the uh, consequences of sepsis. And you probably know that sepsis is one of the top killers inside the hospitals, and so anything that you can do to prevent that obviously is saving lives. They're doing an incredible job. They're homegrown in Houston, so we're very proud of them, and they're scaling exponentially. One extra side note about Luminaire is, during the COVID crisis, they were able to take some of their learnings and develop a new product for COVID screening, and they've deployed it uh, throughout Harris County, which is the county that Houston is part of, and so they were able to kind of pivot and and complement some of the ongoing efforts that Houston was doing in order to ensure that the public was safe and still, you know, kick butt with their, their current right.
0: technology. So. Wow. So is that, um, is that, do they, are do they use like AI as, uh, uh, don't,
1: Don't ask me that question. I don't know how they do it. (laughs) You don't want me talking about their different software. Yeah, no.
0: Okay. Very good. I mean, that's, 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 that's really interesting.
1: It's something, some black box, some fanciness algorithm going on in there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So are they in, in the, in the, in the, in clinical trials now or. um, Yeah, they're actually,
1: they've actually rolled out there. They have already begun sales to uh, their clients and are being deployed. Yeah. So, um, they're they're doing great work, and have already demonstrated uh, validation.
0: Yeah, great. Um, you know, a couple other questions uh, I had that um, you know I thought had have come up in 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 other discussions um, with with some other guests as well that you might I think you might have a, a similar opinion on. Um, you know, startups. I think remaining. Um, lean to a certain extent and outsourcing you know uh work um, it seems like that 's becoming ever more important for startups to do that to help reduce the you know the amount of capital you need to to get to market um, you know is that something you 're seeing with with the startups and 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 the innovators that are coming through your area as well and and maybe that 's a, a benefit to coming to a facility like yours to you know, limit how many resources you actually are keeping on st- or, you know, on your balance sheet essentially. Yeah.
1: You know, keeping your, your team lean, keeping your, your capital efficient obviously is always something folks are striving to do. Um, and, you know, outsourcing regulatory, intellectual property, reimbursement support. Uh, we certainly help uh, to, to, to provide our, our startups. I, I would say, if there's anything that we do, our role is to provide them a vetted resource so that they're not wasting time with folks that maybe aren't the best partnership for them. Sure. Uh, You know, obviously there's always bad apples and you want to weed the bad apples out. But then even beyond that, these are people that you're going to be working with as closely as you would somebody that's on your staff. And so they need to be able to jive with them from a personality perspective, from, from just how they see things and how they see the world perspective. I mean, You know, I have conversations with, for instance, you know, regulatory experts and, and some of them, you know, it's a philosophical discussion at some points where they lean very heavy on going the PMA route versus the class two de novo route and why they lean that way is because of how they feel about broader level things. And so if you don't see the world the way that your consultants see the world, it can be, it can cause uh, some friction there that's unnecessary and obviously can lead to other problems. But from a TMC perspective. Uh, we take very seriously those people that we put in front of our companies. We don't want them wasting time with folks that don't aren't going to be a good fit. We want them to have optionality. We want them to choose the best for them. We want them to have uh, you know, the opportunity to be able to also piecemeal together the right solution for them. As you know, it's really challenging to give a, a startup package and say, this is what all companies need. This is how they need it. And this is how much they need. There has to be flexibility in the model. And so that's what we're looking for. Uh, when we work with service providers. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a critical role to get any startup off the ground and to continue to grow. And so we see see more and more outsourcing being done. And thankfully, there's a lot more technical experts uh, that, that are offering those services to startup companies and not, you know, what it, it used to be and still is to some extent, consultants want to work with larger companies and they want to work with those that have the volume and the capital to be able to work uh, long-term. But more and more we're seeing flexibility in that model and seeing a lot of consultants and service providers starting to understand the language startup speaks and understand what startups need that's unique as opposed to maybe a larger client or a corporate partner
0: sure great um one other question i was thinking about while you're talking about uh, uh tmc um in terms of your clientele are they all you know local to houston um and the reason i ask this is um you know well well we, we I, I do know uh, you know uh, an individual in a company in in Minnesota who you know, I know is at your facility and maybe went through some of the programs there but but just curious too, you know if if I'm a listener and I'm in you know Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm interested in, in something like this, you know, is it a do I have to be on site in in Houston or is it a, you know, do I have to, and, you know, have the company headquartered out of there? How does that work?
1: Uh, absolutely not. It can be anywhere. Um, okay. In fact, the number of our companies, so the way that we um, determine who we like and who we don't like to work with when it comes to service providers is based on the feedback that we get from our startup companies. We ask them, who are the, who are the vendors that you like working with? Why do you like working with them? And um, can, can, would you be willing to you know provide a testimony for them? And so we get startups from all over the world. Uh, we get a lot from the West Coast and East Coast, as you can imagine. And so we have a number of vendors, suppliers that we work with uh, from those locations. Now, of course, uh, there's there's a, some great opportunities within Houston, great clients within Houston, people that do have a presence in Houston. We get to know them a lot better. And of course, that's a, that always helps the relationship. But yeah, we work with folks from, from all over the world, and we're really proud to have that kind of network.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Okay. Um, so look, last question here. Uh, and this is,
1: you know, just something I,
0: I ask a a good majority of the guests. And, um, if you had a piece of advice that you tell, we'll just call it recent, recent college grad Lance, um, (laughs) you know, what, what, what would that be? And, and, and more pertaining obviously to, I'm not looking for a, a philosophical, uh, uh, life lesson here, but, but in, in, in regards to a career in the med device space, you know, is there, is there a piece of advice you would have for him?
1: Yeah. I, you know, respect the healthcare business. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, if I can go back, I'd spend a lot more time educating myself on around, uh, you know, how does, what's the, the machine behind the, the clinical care, right? What is, what are the incentivization and disincentivizations of, of, of healthcare? Um, I think respecting that process, it's okay. uh, oftentimes illuminates why people behave the way they behave. And it really helps you put into perspective, um, that, that you know, wh- whatever it is that you want to, the direction you want to go with your career, it helps you to put into perspective how to do that with the understanding of the business. I, I got into the business of healthcare, uh, much later in my career than, than, than I probably would have liked to. I wish I would have had that forethought to to kind of dive into that first and then have that as a foundation that I can build upon. Um, But yeah, that's probably the piece of advice I'd give myself.
0: Awesome. Well, look, Lance, um, I appreciate the time today. Um, You know, I I just just looked at the clock and we're probably 40, 50 minutes into this thing. So um, look, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you telling the audience about uh, TMCX and, um, you know, it, it's a it's a great facility and if people don't know about it i, I really encourage them to, to to do some research and take a look at your website and that'll be in the show notes so uh people can can take a look and there'll be a little connection there so look i appreciate your time and uh have a great rest of your day
1: you too thanks so much for having me dwayne
0: absolutely thank you for listening to the podcast i owe a special thanks to justin carolyn who designed the graphic for the podcast and eric mccloskey who wrote the music if you have any questions or comments for myself or Lance, there's a link to our LinkedIn pages in the show notes, along with a link to TMC Innovation webpage. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And feel free to visit the webpage at www.projectmedtech.com or send us an email at projectmedtechpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com.